Hello and welcome to Funny Science Fiction, the live edition. Hello and welcome everybody to Funny Science Fiction, our live show. Kathleen and I are here tonight to bring you some extra superciliousness. But we also want to remind you that this is the podcast that makes you wish that those memory erasing devices from Men in Black weren't fictional. I get it, that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But before we get into tonight into tonight's show, we need to say thanks to our show sponsors, River City Tees and Level Up Lightsabers. Let's watch a quick video for each. All right, here's River City Tees. With over 700 designs to choose from, River City Tees has something for everyone. Need some new nerd merch? River City Tees has you covered. Need funny or sarcastic designs? River City Tees has you covered. Are you looking for a new logo or custom design? Whether you need one or 100, River City Tees has you covered. With multiple colors and options for each and every design. With things to choose from like shirts, hoodies, phone cases, coffee mugs, and so much more. Be sure to follow River City Tees on Facebook and Instagram. If you do, you'll get the latest on designs and information about upcoming sales. River City Tees. Let's make a shirt together. And one more quick one for the coolest... Everybody's favorite. Yeah, exactly. The coolest lightsaber video you're about to watch today, tomorrow, next week, whenever. Yeah, it's still cool. Always fun to watch. All right. So, yeah, those are, that's River City Tees and Level Up Lightsabers. Um, and thank you, Facebook user, for saying River City Tees is the best. I agree. They make fun stuff. I'm wearing one of their shirts. Can't really see it. It says home. With the Michigan. I am also wearing a River City Tees t-shirt. There you go. All I right. will not be an asset physically. I have a podcast body. <laughs> there you go. I love my All shirt. Right. All right. Yeah. And uh, remember, if you're commenting th through StreamYard, uh, whether uh, on Facebook there, uh, make sure that you give Facebook the authorization to uh, to use your name. Otherwise, we just get to see you as Facebook user. And although we love Facebook user, uh, we love knowing your names as well. And uh, I started posting these during the videos, but we'll show these real quick. Jason Taylor says, yes, love you guys. Love you too, Jason. Love your show, Three Geeks Podcast. If you guys haven't checked them out i strongly suggest that you do uh kathleen and i have both been guests on that show and we both enjoy that show immensely they both said that or they said that they would have us both back too so well they're just gluttons we for will punishment. question their sanity later exactly all right and then of course kathleen is psychedelic i decided to go to have it match my hair there you go john says that this is the highlight of his monday evening mainly because he gets to look at you on camera but we'll let that slide for the moment because I put makeup on. It's the only time I wear makeup. And speaking of hair, thank you for noticing, Jason. You're too kind. All right. So, oh, and one more from John. I replaced 75% of my t-shirts with River City Tees. They're phenomenal. All right. Well, we'll take that. All right. So, we got a couple of guests waiting for us uh, in our green room. They've been patient. They've been kind. They've been nice. I suppose we should let them into our, our silliness. And we've Probably. told them to wait. So, they waited. They're still there. They are still there? They stayed? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I know. So our guests tonight are a couple of distinguished authors who've had nothing better to do on a Monday night. So they're here for some games and some laughs, and we're going to do our best to not disappoint them. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's going to work, but we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. You know what? That's, that's the goal every week, to see how far we can... Uh, you know, go with our guests before we realize, well, they're not coming back. But <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Everybody says we haven't like, had anybody leave in the middle of a show yet. Not yet. I mean, there, there's always there's always the first time. Maybe uh, that'll happen tonight with our guests, Mitch Ben and David Polmutter. Hello, hello, uh, Mitch. How are you? 
I'm fine. I promise I won't leave. I can't promise I'll stay awake. It's just gone midnight here. Um, oh, that's but, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in the U of K for my sins and indeed for everybody's sins just at the moment. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I was listening to the, um, um, the uh, deluxe lightsaber guy one a couple of days ago, you know? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I haven't, I, I haven't had it because I remember, you know, when I was, some of us are old enough to remember that toy lightsabers used to be inflatable and not make sounds. That's how old some of us are. And, and some of us, some of us couldn't even have get those, and so we had to wait for your for our moms to get done with the gift wrap tubes and make our own. Yes, well, I mean, something I've, often thought, something I've often thought about, um, you know, the, the really started, I guess, with the Phantom Menace toys at the end of the nineties, when they started putting those little chips in them to make the noises. Thought to myself, mm -hmm. this is depriving children of an essential life skill, which is learning how to make these sounds for yourself. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's my entire, you know, a whole generation of kids is now growing up that has never learned how to go. And it's very important to do slurp when you switch it off. Oh, of course. Exactly. Well, you got to have yeah, that noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, Mitch, Tide John. Tide fighter kind of hurts. The Tide fighter noise is. Kind of hard on the larynx. That was impressively good, wow. though. <laughs> <laughs> this might be my favorite so far. All right, uh, Mitch. By the way, John wants to say that he loves your shirt. Oh, we always you. need. We yes. always need more guitars. The weird thing about this shirt, this gets this uh, this. I need more guitars T-shirt. I can't figure out why only the Gretches are lefty. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, all right-handers except for the Gretch. Why would you have all these guitars and then got one left hand? It's very weird. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> I wonder if I, it... I, I have no many. I have genuine. I was talking about this with an old friend of mine on Facebook. Facebook is so weird. The only one of my old school friends, I'm from, I uh, was born and raised in Liverpool and I uh, currently live in London. I'm kind of ethnically Scottish. Um, but the only one of my old school friends I'm in regular contact with lives in North Carolina. Because it's the Facebook age, you know. So, and he oh, wow. was kind of, and he was kind of the guy who taught me to play guitar when we were kids. So, hi, Bill, if you're out there. But we were having the "How many guitars do you have?" conversation on Facebook, and I really, I do not know. I do not know more than ten, less than thirty. I, I do not know. Um, but they, they all serve a purpose, you know. <laughs> I don't just, I don't just buy any guitar like the look of. They, they, they're always filling some kind of gap in the arsenal. So something which is not yet covered by the dozens that I already have. But yes. Somehow, for some reason, I see John at home taking notes. This is how I can argue that next guitar with Kathleen. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. He's going to need a bigger house. There yeah. you go. All right. So, hey, uh, Mitch, before uh, David uh, joins us here, um, let's talk a little bit about your books in general. What made you want to be an author and what do you like to write about? Oh, um. I've kind of always wanted to be, and it's 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 one of the because I, I do a lot of different things. Um, uh, I've been a stand-up comedian in Britain since the nineties. I did a lot of radio comedy. I was on a quite a big deal comedy show on BBC Radio called The Now Show for about seventeen years. Uh, I've done proper acting and everything. Just one of the one of the few things I do which is actually fulfilling a boyhood ambition is writing science fiction novels. Okay. You know, um, everything else is kind of stuff that I turned out to be quite good at that I kind of got distracted into. But the, the, the sci-fi novels is something I genuinely always wanted to do as a kid. And to be perfectly honest, it never occurred to me that it would be anything other than sci-fi. Um, I'd probably be making a lot more, you know, I have a comedy friend, a guy from, from the comedy circuit in, in Britain called Martin Billingham, who got off the comedy circuit just as I was getting into it because he started writing very successful detective novels. Uh, and he's making so much money on those because that's where all the money is. It's in sure. you know, writing detective novels and everything. And so if, if, if to a certain extent, I kind of wish that I had something like that in me because it would be a hell of a lot more commercial. But instead of which, I write this sort of esoteric, whimsical sci-fi, uh, particularly kid-friendly, esoteric, whimsical sci-fi, because I guess that's just what comes out when I start typing. You're not really consulted about that. You know what I mean? Um, right. You know, I think I think with, with that that which comes out when you start typing is that which comes out when you start typing. You don't really get to choose. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've had this bizarre kind of roller coaster thing um, with my writing, which is as those people who follow me will know that I wrote 
I, I was commissioned by a sort of a reputable publishing house uh, here in Britain back in like 2011 to write uh, a sci-fi trilogy. And I wrote the first two and then they dropped me and didn't publish the third one. So I found myself in, in, in this sort of bizarre sort of uh, wilderness. Uh, and it took me really six years to get it moving again. I had like six years of dead ends and false stars trying to get it moving again. And it's it's all up and running again now and has been since the end of last year. All three books are now out. Um, I'm 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 well I'm 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 supposed to be working hard on a fourth, which is not part of the trilogy. It's it's a whole new show, a whole new show, a whole new book, whole new story. What I'm actually doing at the moment is is because now I'm putting these out myself. Uh, they call it indie publishing. They used to call it vanity publishing, but it is self-publishing. Um, right. But it's become a, a whole. That's become a different beast in the past few years, of which I'm sure we'll talk more in a minute. But what I'm doing at the moment is I'm trying to edit the audiobook of book three because the the first two came out in audio back in the day and the old publisher was kind enough to sell me those recordings so i've been able to after a few tweaks just to bring them up to date to re-release the original recordings that i made back in 2013 2014 books one and two but of course book three i'm entirely on my own now i've got all the kit that I need and I've got all the equipment that I don't quite have a completely isolated sound space recorded it, but I was recording it kind of for the whole of last week and I'm now editing it and I'm now wishing I was nicer to the guy who edited the first. <laughs> <laughs> um, Always be nice to the audio engineers. Yeah. Yes. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I was perfectly nice to him. I'm just now wishing I was actually obsequious to him. Yes. Sort of n- nice to the point of overbearing. Because it wasn't that you oh weren't my... nice, but you could have been nicer. Yeah, yes, gotcha. Yes. Oh my god, editing audiobooks <laughs> is a nutmeg. It really is. Um, it, it's things you don't really think because obviously I've been editing podcasts and stuff for years, but there is a, a different kind of sound aesthetic for audiobooks. For example, you have to cut out all the in breaths every right. time you begin a sentence because I've got this beautiful new microphone, I've got this Rode NTA1. Uh, which is just noiseless. And suddenly I realized just how crappy every microphone I've ever owned was Mm. now that I've got this thing, which is just noiseless, absolutely. But what it does mean is it picks up all the ambient noise. Like I'm recording it in the cupboard under my girlfriend's stairs, right? She's got like um, one of those, you know, walk-in closets (laughs) under the staircase in her flat. Oh, very Harry Potter of you. Uh, no, no, it is. It's totally Harry Potter, and uh, and and because it was the most enclosed space we could find, and I've stapled like old removal guy bank blankets to every inch of wall space to deaden it, and then I set this microphone up, and it's only when I set this micro, this ridiculously good microphone, it's only when I set this microphone up, I realised that the electricity meter is in there and actually makes a sound, uh, which, no. which I had. I, I hadn't picked up with my ears at all. And then she goes, and then this <laughs> But of course the electricity meter would find it, sure. Oh, there it is, there it is. It's so I ended up getting this big packing crate and gluing layers of carpet to this packing crate and stuffing it around the electricity meter to dampen that. <laughs> so now I can't hear that. So nice. yeah, so making this audiobook has been all told, <laughs> in terms of just sheer mindless graft, probably harder work than writing book three was. Um, so, but hopefully, book one uh, has, has just been republished in, in audio. Book two will be republished in audio anytime soon, and then hopefully, book three will be ready to go out in a few weeks' time. Um, but yeah, but the thing is, because because I'm an actor and because I did a lot of stuff on the radio, I used to be, one of my jobs on radio comedy. So I used to be one of the resident funny voice guys. Mm-hmm. on this radio show and i do quite a lot of well impressions i do impressions well enough so you can tell who it's meant to be i don't do i'm not one of these guys who can, who's can, up to sort of you know prank call level impressions where you can right. actually pass yourself off as a famous person but what that does mean is the audiobooks for the first two were were quite popular because i don't just read it out i sort of enact it and oh, of and I cast the supporting characters among various actors that I can do and then Excellent. see if people can spot who it is I'm doing, you know. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, it's actually recording it has been quite fun. But, oh, my God, editing it is extraordinary pain in the... I forget how, how much I'm allowed to swear on this. But anyway, <laughs> um, a pain in the backside. 
Pain in the backside will have to do. Yes. There you go. <laughs> this is All the PG-13 crosscast. Yeah. Let's take a moment. And let's... You could probably get away with a little more, but that's yeah. just because let's I'm going to be like... Let's, let's not be edgy just for the sake of it. Oh. <laughs> there you go. There's nothing All right, let's go. than someone being edgy for the sake of it. <laughs> let's go ahead and bring in our other guest. This is David Pullmutter, everybody. And David, I'm sure I just slotted... I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure I just slotted your last name. So say that one more time. Say it one more time for me. Perlmutter. Perlmutter. Okay. Excellent. The way to remember it is Mother Pearl in German. There you go. I was going to say it looked German. It was just missing an umlaut. Uh, who yeah. the, uh, who's it? What's it? I said it, it looked German. It was just missing an umlaut. The, 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 the heavy, the heavy metal dots. But that would make it Perlmutter, which would mean something else, yes. wouldn't it? So, yes. yes. <laughs> German All right. So, David, we, you heard the question we asked of Mitch. Uh, I, at least I think you did. Uh, so before we get into uh, our total of silliness with you guys tonight, what made you want to be an author, David? And uh, what do you like to write about? Well, I think it was, it had a lot to do with um, me being interested in animation as a kid. And, like the way the stories were told there. Mm -hmm. like, like very, you know, like, I was always interested in reading as well, of course, but it was, I didn't really think about it as a career until I got it, until I started becoming an adult and wondering what I was going to do. Okay. I mean, my, my other job is being a historian of animation. I read two books so far oh, wow. animation. So that, so I, so like they say, you write what you know. So it's a lot of what, a lot of what, so a lot of, what my fiction is is kind of what a lot of the animated programs that I like would be if they were literature. Okay. Idea like so there's so I dabble in like a lot of things, a lot of types of prose fiction that weren't really considered to be prose fiction until fairly recently, like superhero narratives and All right, heavy humor, comedy stuff. Obviously, as I'm on this show, um, <laughs> and a lot, you know, a lot of a lot of thought and consideration put into the idea of what animated cartoon characters would be like if they were fully rounded individual people as we are in the real world okay and what sort of consequences there would be all right i like that and also and also doing sort of the as i said doing sort of the kind of narratives and ideas that would be animation if they were on a screen and not on paper Okay. Well, very good. All right. So, uh, in a in a in a uh, a few moments here, what we'll do is we're going to we'll circle back to what you guys are writing. And we're going to give you guys a chance to talk a little bit more about your books and uh, tell people where they can find your books and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, hopefully, uh, after people have gotten to know a little bit about you and see the silly side of you, that hopefully they'll want to go uh, buy some of your books and read up on those things. That's our hope, anyway. Yes, I hope so too. All right, so should we play a game? We have a game. Oh, yeah. Like games. All right. Games. All right. So for tonight's festivities, since we have authors among us, uh, I have never claimed to be an author, nor will I ever claim to be an author. Uh, I just talk a lot. That's what I do. Um, <laughs> so since you guys... Words, just says them. That's going to be on my... Yeah, that's going to be on my headstone. He talked a lot. Um, but uh, since you guys are here tonight with us, we thought that we'd play a little bit of game that has a little bit to do about writing. And so we're a silly show, and we thought what better way to include some silliness into our show with writers than to have some fun with Mad Libs. Okay. So these are science fiction and superhero-based Mad Libs. I'm going to ask you guys, and we'll have you guys go one at a time. And I'm going to ask you uh, for whatever it is that they ask for on the sheet. 
you'll tell me what it is, and then we'll read the Mad Lib back and see what kind of silliness we get into. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what Mad Libs is. This may not be a British thing. Oh, okay. It's an right. American. It's American word game thing. Right. How does one play Mad Libs? So they, how we do it is, well, uh, there's a story that they've written, and right. there. This first one has eleven empty spaces. And I will ask you for a name, uh, an adjective, a verb, okay. a silly sound or word. Uh, and so you just tell me the first thing that pops into your head when I ask for whatever it is. Gotcha. And, and uh, you know, then when you're done, I fill in all the spots and we go back and we read it over to see exactly how silly of a story we have written up okay. based on what the uh, Mad Lib told us to do. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Good David, American you want to go? You want to go first, or would you like to let our, our British friend go first? I can, I, I can go first, and then go off. Right, you, you're you're going to show them how it's done. All right, I like this. Let's do it. All right, so this first one is about Star Wars. So for space number one, I need a name. Harold. Harold. Okay. Space number two, I need an adjective. Uh, dainty. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, space number three, David, I need a verb. Swam. All right. Number four, I need a silly word, Mitch. Oh, um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Uh, spigot. That All is right. a good word. <laughs> I like it. All right. Number five, David, I need a noun. City. City? Yeah. All right. Uh, the sixth one, I need a plural noun, Mitch. Bricks. Okay. Uh, the seventh one, we need a... Uh, David, I need a verb that ends in ED. Edited. Edited. Okay. Seems appropriate for our conversation so far tonight. All right, Mitch, you need another verb? Just a regular old verb. Uh, triangulate. All right, and I need a, uh, Mitch, I need another, uh, no, uh, no, let's go back to David. David, I need another verb is with ED. You are the ED verb guy, apparently. Exalted. Oh, there you go. Triangular. All right. This is. All right. And uh, Mitch, I need one more regular verb. Paraphrase. All right. And David, last one. I need an adjective. Bright. Bright. Okay. Here we go. Let's see. Let's see how good, bad, or indifferent we did with this. <laughs> All right. Darth Harold looked at his master. Looked at his master while his dainty breathing filled the room. <laughs> he was told to go swim everything of the planet Spigot. He got into his city and jumped to hyperspace. Soon before he reached the planet, he dropped out of hyperspace and was attacked by rebel bricks. He edited them off and continued to the planet's surface. <laughs> he landed and confronted more opposition, slicing it down with his triangulate. And he used the paraphrase to choke another rebel, then exalted him aside. He finished all he finished off all life on the planet with a bright laugh. 
Oh, the stories of Darth Harold. Still better than Rise of Skywalker. True story. <laughs> I find that a bit hurtful. <laughs> Makes more sense than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> it doesn't sort of spend half its running time trying to undo somebody else's madly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. Trying to retcon somebody else's madly. Total uh, waste of two movies. I stopped paying attention after the first three, so... Yeah. No, you're very well. thing is, Force Awakens was great. It has a problem. The problem is it, it, it nothing about it surprises you because it consists entirely of story beats from um, uh, Star Wars and Empire. Other than that, it's a great fun. Last Jedi, I know why people didn't like it, and I also know why, I also know why they're all wrong. Um, but Rise of Skywalker, it's just... Look, if you're going to give Ryan Johnson complete carte blanche to do whatever he wants with his movie, then haven't you essentially obliged yourself to respect whatever he does in his movie when you come to do the next movie? But instead of that, they literally waste half the runtime of Rise of Skywalker undoing everything right, mm -hmm. I, either ignoring or dismantling everything Ryan Johnson put into The Last Jedi. And it just, I don't know, it, it, it feels like... Considering he's meant to be such a control freak, it feels like, did, you know, did JJ actually actually read the script of Last Jedi before it went into production? Because if surely, if you don't like any of Ryan Johnson's ideas, the time to tell him is when he's written it, not after you've spent $200 million making it. <laughs> you know, you know that's I'm... the time at which you say, actually, Ryan, we don't think we're going to do any of this. It's, Unfortunately, it's uh, you're not wrong. You know? yeah, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, bizarre. bizarre. The one thing I find interesting of people talking about mm -hmm. these ongoing developments in the franchises, they they talk about it as if you know it's almost like they're talking about the Star Wars Star Trek to be to just mm -hmm. it just it's almost like saying that Nietzsche was a better philosopher than Heidegger. Yeah. And I, I try to do the all Star Wars is Star Wars and Star Wars is valid. Except for nine. <laughs> nine no, you know, Star Wars. So, so, you know, for me, I find I find uh, points in each that I that I like. There are things of each movie that I don't like. I'm a I'm an old true blue Star Wars fan. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I've often said in the in these shows that uh, Star Wars is like my marriage. It's been there for me, goodness, you know, good times and bad, sickness and in health. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's always there. Well, Empire still... Strikes Empire Strikes Back is still my all time favorite movie. Oh, totally, it will will always be my all time favorite movie. Um, you know, and, the, and I've openly said too, there have been times when I hated the Last Jedi when it first came out. Absolutely right. despised it. I've actually grown to like the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and the more I watch it, the more I like it. There's a lot of really strong storytelling components to that movie. Uh, not only between that and the way it was shot, it's, it's actually quite a good movie. However, with all that being said, I still don't like that. They marry Poppins and Leia back into the ship. No, That's always going to be a problem for me. And I will never like, um, the fact that, uh, uh, Luke was the onceler from the Lorax. <laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it again. Come back tomorrow. I'll tell you more about the Force. So, right. you know. <laughs> Which, I mean, he did kind of learn from Yoda. Well, this is it. I mean, it's like, it's it, it's sort of becoming a miserable old hermit living in a planet they are under nowhere it seems to be fairly much the standard play when things go wrong for a Jedi, you know. Um, it's not like it was entirely unprecedented. But I don't know. Right. I think it's... I mean, um, my, my, I just, for me, it's not a point of the respective merits of the movie. To me, it's just a really weird way of going about doing a trilogy. To say mm -hmm. to somebody who, because I know originally it's meant to be three different guys. I know originally uh, part nine was meant to be Colin Trevorrow, and then they fired Colin Trevorrow when that kid's movie came out. Mm -hmm. Died on its ring, you know, and so, um, and and so JJ comes back in to to take over part of. But it's just a really chaotic way of doing a trilogy. Um, it's just. If, like I say, if you're going to give somebody else carte blanche to do whatever he wants with part two, 
then you presumably, like I say, I, as far as I'm concerned, you've obliged yourself to go with whatever he introduces for part two, whether you're in the right part three. It's just right. really bizarre to come back in and write part three and go, actually, no, forget all of that. <laughs> you know, right. If you're going to do it as a group project, do it as a group project. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it became. It just feels really sloppy on a kind of on a kind of a production level. Right. You know, it just feels really sort of half-assed on that kind of. But when you consider that, like I say, these are half-billion-dollar projects. You know, it just feels like a really weirdly half-assed way to go about doing it. And like I say, if you decided you didn't like any of Ryan's ideas, which I know a lot of people didn't, I did. I really like the idea that basically the Jedi are busted flush and what we're waiting for is the next generation of Force-sensitive warriors, hence Broom Kid. You know what right. I mean? I really like the idea that, you no, know, forget about the Jedi. We need to find something new. I really love that idea. I love the I actually, because, you know, all over the uh, Twitter just for the last few days has been somebody saying, oh, my God, as a joke a few months ago, I said, so they're going to give Cruella DeVille a tragic backstory where her parents are killed by Dalmatians, aren't they? Funny Science Fiction will be right back after a word from our sponsors. And now back to Funny Science Fiction. And that's in the new movie. <laughs> um, something which somebody said as a joke. I actually said just before Last Jedi came out. Oh, I wondered why she needed donations. Yeah, well, this is it. But it's like everybody's got to have a tragic backstory now. Yeah, yeah I'm. Um, but but it's it's. Um, I actually said not as a joke, but just throwing something out there just before the Last Jedi came out, and I'm fine with tweet people want it. So it's back in like November 2017. So the by far the most satisfying explanation for Ray's origins is that she's nobody, that she's nobody in particular, that her parents were a bunch of meth heads who sold it to Simon Pegg to pay off gambling debts, then went mm -hmm. straight around to their old dealers and oh, their dealers and overdosed. You know what I mean? And that's why they never right. came back. And then and because because one of the things I liked about um, the notion of Jedi as proposed by the original trilogy is that it's some kind of standard of strength and purity to which anyone might aspire. And then in the prequel trilogy, they bring in midi bloody chlorians and something, it's suddenly it's something you're born with or you're not. So it goes from being a Buddhist notion to essentially almost being a fascist notion, you know. Um, and, and I really like the idea that, no, it, it's something you can learn, you know. And, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and I actually said that. And then, lo and behold, Adam Driver comes out and says almost exactly that word for word in Last Jedi. So it's not just that I was feeling vindicated. I was thinking, yes, that's the way to go with that character. She isn't the inheritor of a legacy. Just for once, we're not doing the stable boy premise. Right. right. Just for once, can we not do the stable? You know what the stable boy premise is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's maybe not do the stable boy premise in fantasy just one time. Can this person not be the inheritor of some vast dread legacy? Can she just be someone who finds themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time and has to find the wherewithal to get out of it? Can this not be all about destiny just once? You know, but no. Anyway, <laughs> my you know I can I've been you know I've been dealing with this a little bit. In the last mm -hmm. years in television animation and my basic yeah. because they of course they were always doing of course they were always doing it. Hanna Barbera just sucked all the fun out of Scooby Doo with the first five or six different versions of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Warner keeps making new ones. Yeah. But it's you know but it's really frustrating when you see a show that was really a particular animator's vision. Yeah, mm -hmm. particular yeah. animators' style and substance, and they do the show without him. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the other thing is, is it because is it the original Scooby Doo? Scooby Doo, where are you? As as the show was called in its first, you know, the one with that theme tune. It drips nineteen sixty nine. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just mm -hmm. oozes nineteen sixty nine and. To me, yeah. it's, 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 it's so the fact that, you know, we have to keep bringing them back, but every time we bring them back, they're still all like 18, 19, and it's still now, whenever now is. So they did that kind of anime looking one back in the noughties, you remember? Um, mm -hmm. And, the, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, and, and it's, it's, I, some of them are quite good fun. Um, but to, to me, you know, Scooby Doo is, We've seen that original series. It's very much a kind of not a relic of its time, but it's it's 
you know, it's an example of its time. It's you it's very have, much of its time. You know, I you mean, really, yeah, you really have to. One of the things that I wrote on my nonfiction book is you have to is that you have to really well take it serious animation seriously. Sometimes it's a bit redundant, but it's important to understand when the thing was produced. Yeah, it has absolutely. very obvious signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I don't understand about people getting upset about really old animation that was made before they were born, <laughs> and Call it you know, like calling it out for racist, sexist stuff. They don't. They don't understand that the goalposts were in a different. Oh, like, of right, so. it was a different time. So, so, but it's just it is fantastically tense when you're sitting there with your kids, and like you know, an old Warner Brothers from the forties comes on the TV for whatever reason, and you're just sitting there waiting for something racist to happen. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's coming any minute now. It's coming. Well, they've, uh, they've kind of pulled the they've kind of pulled the really bad stuff off. I mean, I, well, even think I mean, about. I would, uh, I would really. I mean, I would really like Bob Clampett and Warner. He did. He did a complete blackface version of Snow White called Cold Black and the Seven Dwarves. And right. I know it exists because people keep talking about it, but I've never seen it. Because nobody's ever nobody's nobody's in their right mind's gonna show it. Right. Right. Nobody wants exactly. to see that anymore. It's it's you know, this is the thing. Ultimately, these things don't get banned. It's just that nobody feels comfortable showing them anymore. I mean, there's um there's the the lost Peter Sellers movie, The Party. Um, made in the late that. 60s, made by Blake Edwards, who did the Pink Panther movies, yeah. in which Peter Sellers plays a a, a hapless Indian it's movie Indian star guy. who accidentally gets invited to the swankiest party in Hollywood. Um, and I have seen it. It was shown on British TV once in the 80s, I think, with like, literally warning labels all over it. Because mm -hmm. it is actually a very funny movie, but it the is, whole yeah. movie... Is Peter Sellers doing the comedy Indian, but and it's just oh god, you know what I mean? It's it's really cringy to with it. But if the funny thing is, it's in the they, remake, you know, they could it, remake that, but they could remake it, but they would have to cast an actual East Indian guy in the lead. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, they just yeah, just get Dev Patel, you know, I mean, he'd nail it, you know, <laughs> or as a man, you know, get that, you know, because we actually now have. <laughs> You know, in Indian and subcontinental origin leading men in a way that you didn't in the 60s unless you were actually in India. So, But the funny thing is, that kind of bar with regards to what counts as unacceptably racist, it, it was it was it's still moving, but it's, it's not certain racial stereotypes became unacceptable before other ones did. Yeah. And they don't all become unacceptable to the same degree in the same place. For example, it's only really in the last couple of years that the Simpsons has confronted the issue, is it really okay having Hank Azaria doing the um, oh, what's the indie shopkeeper called? Apu. Are they doing the Apu voice? Is it really okay that Apu is Hank Azaria doing the Peter Sellers comedy Indian voice? You know, Actually, you know it's a, it's with, with both of them, so yeah, yeah. it's so, really like well, the, the funny thing, the funny thing is, though, like I say, the what is, uh, go on, sorry. What, like, one of the things that I really admire about Peter Sellers was his versatility—that he could do all of these, he could play all these different type of type of people and pull it off because oh, yeah. he knew, because he knew, he knew what the accent sounded like. He knew the mannerisms, and. He was able to speak in such a way that yeah. you were convinced that he was East Indian or Italian or French mm. or whatever when he wasn't. Uh, he's, but he's, you know, Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria is, Hank Azaria is an extremely versatile actor, and particularly yeah. a voice actor, and he doesn't always get a lot of credit for doing the voice, doing the voice so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody's disputing whether he does the voice well. I think people are disputing whether or not it's that, you know, because here's the thing. I mean, one of the funniest things, um, it used you know, to I'm be getting to the age now, I, I look back upon, you know, my generation when we were kids in the 80s and how right on we thought we were, you know? We, we sure. thought we were as hip and enlightened as the human race was ever going to get. <laughs> you know, we, we, we thought we had attained total, you know, 
right on Nirvana. Totally, you know, I mean, the word woke wasn't going to be coined for another 30 years, but we thought we had attained maximum wokeness by literally like 1986. You know what I mean? We thought that's it. We've made all the social progress that will ever be made. You know, I was so, sixteen years old. You know, um, and 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 it's extraordinary how right on we weren't <laughs> in retrospect. Um, this this is a constant, constant, ongoing process. You know. Um, oh, hold on a second. John says, going back a moment, instead of the stable boy, why can't the chosen one be a middle aged person with kids who wants to wrap up the prophecy? Get on with their lives. Sounds like a great book, John. Go write it. <laughs> it's like J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter play. Yes. Yeah. What is that one? What a cursed child. The cursed child. Yeah, yes. a friend of mine's in it. I haven't seen it. Oh, but the friend of mine who's in the cursed child, right? Uh, is an old university buddy of mine. Uh, his his acting name is not his real name. It's David Mara and. To my utter joy, when I sat down to watch the four-hour Snyder Cup, found out that he'd been edited back into it. <laughs> oh. um, he's the truck driver who nearly kills Iris West. Mm. Have you seen the four-hour Oh, Snyder yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the truck driver who nearly kills Iris West is an old university buddy of mine from the University of Edinburgh called David Mara. Yeah. You do that, John. Um, and and yeah, and he had no idea. He remembered filming it back in like, you know, 2016 or something. Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't know that he wasn't in the theatric, the, the, the Joss Whedon cut, nor did he know <laughs> that he'd been put back into the Snyder cut. So I, I messaged him on Facebook, you know, well, guess who just got edited back into Justice League? Uh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> If they can edit out the mustache, they can edit people back in. Absolutely, yeah. Eventually, there's going to be more different cuts of that movie than there was a Blade Runner. <laughs> that, that, oh, was, we, you know, that was the, you know, that was... Are we going to have the Blade first, Runner conversation? When I, when, I first, you know, when I first heard about... It's a fairly recent phenomenon for the, the, the producer and the director have different cuts. Like, well, it's that's not a recent phenomenon. What's what's a recent phenomenon is getting to see the alternative. Yeah. Cuts. Um, you know, I mean, you go in the studios, like everything the Orson Welles did after Citizen Kane got butchered. But the point is, we never got to see his versions. You the know, studio system, like in the studio system, the directors were the employees and the producers were the bosses. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah, 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 but. Thank That's you. what's new. It's not that the movies are existing in different versions. What is new, or what really started with the release of the Director's Cut of Blade Runner in 92, is that we are getting to see the different yeah. versions. That's, what, that's what's new. Um, I'm all for the different versions of whatever gets me um, uh, less Jared Leto on the screen. I'm all for it. <gasps> and also, I think it's the... the, the you hurt my emo heart. The oh. of He's the same age as me. Can you believe that? Anyway. <laughs> Started with Andrew Saras in the seventies talking about the director as auteur. Yeah, it's, it's really that's when the director started to be taken seriously, and that's when you start seeing people talking seriously about what John Ford did or some yeah. levels, Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, the, the auteurial theory kind of came in through Kaiju Cinema of France, didn't it? In, in yeah, sixties. But Roland Godard and and. Uh, what what I think has started happening here. Those guys were critics before they started making movies, so they mm. understood. They understood what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They said, "I've seen enough movies now that I know how to make one of my own," and they started yeah. making own flicks. Exactly. Well, I think one of the differences that is with the, the sort of the eighties into the nineties when you start to have directors of mainstream movies who acquire the kind of personal profile that they can start to swing their weight about a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's the fact that you know Ridley Scott after Blade Runner, if anything, only is you know enhanced his reputation. The, the weird thing is, well, I mean, are we gonna have the damn? Blade? I, I always end up talking about Blade Runner every interview I ever do. I am weirdly, I, I'm actually a bit weird about Blade Runner. Um, but it's just and, like, I don't like it, like, I understand, like. I've spent a long time studying the history of show business mm -hmm. in all its, its form. It's very fat. It's a you know it's a fascinating and treacherous an area of oh absolutely of study as as like the Roman Empire, medieval England, or something like that. Because there's the same sort of almost 
betrayals. And yeah, the same degree of brutality. I can yeah. add a level to the Blade Runner conversation. Oh, let's have it. Tyranny. I've never seen it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, show hands. The other three of us. All right, let's get, get one vote each. Which version of Blade Runner should Kathleen see if she's going to go see it? Or yeah, she's going to with the original. You got to start with the original. It's not even up for discussion. Not 1982 theatrical. 1982 theatrical cut. Yeah. Uh, okay, which version of the original of, of the first movie? 82 theatrical cut, 92 director's cut, or 2007 final cut? Which of those do you think? I think you watch down? them. I think you watch them in order. I think you start with the original and you work your way through. It's the same way that I did it with Star Wars. I mean, you watch the original with the the, the Lucas. See, for you, everything goes Blade Runner. For me, everything goes Star Wars. Right, so, right. Well, so. David. I watch the originals and then work my way through the the Lucas yeah. rehash. But, but it's the that is the, the, the first movie exists in three distinctly different versions, all of which are available at any given time. <laughs> there is the 1982 theatrical cut read. with the voiceover and the happy ending and no unicorn. There is also the also should be reading read do Android Stream of Electric Sheep by Phil yeah, that's true. Yes, you could start with the source source novel. Um, okay. but well, the, although it doesn't like. The, but the thing well, is, the first it, movie has never really been done accurately in the movies. He said, "No, no, done no it a couple of times, but they really like they changed the name because they because they thought to, Total Recall was better than we can remember it for you wholesale." Even though the story title for me <laughs> sounds a lot better. Well, think about you know, and and they just did it again with the Man in the High Castle. Obviously, think about think about. The, I mean, has there ever been? A faithful Philip K. Dick adaptation, like a really faithful. I don't think he's just so trippy. They're not. He's just, they're not. He's just so trippy. If you threw everything from one of Philip K. Books, Dick's books at the screen, I think audiences might have difficulty taking it seriously because he's so trippy. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, just, um, it's always kind of been a problem with Hollywood. Isaac Asimov yeah. once was one. So the is, comment that Tim Tim had up on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. The last one of John claiming he does not know this woman. Okay. He's been married to me for six and a half years and hasn't <laughs> said I should watch the movie. All right. Well, look. Okay. I will. I will put my oar in right now. Think about the first movie. It exists in three substantially different versions. There's also a couple of like minorly different versions. Like there was a work print which came out before it was released. Don't worry about that. That doesn't really count as a version. It's been officially released in three different versions. There's the original 1982 theatrical cut. There was the 1992 director's cut, and there's the 2007 final cut. Um, and They're all part of the DVD set. Yeah, if you if you get the DVD book, but the thing is, it used to be that the original version was actually really difficult to get hold of. It's actually far easier to get hold of now than it was. I mean, I think you can actually get the original version on various streaming and download services. But the thing is, I'm a bit of an outlier in that not only do I like the 1982 theatrical cut best, Mm -hmm. It's the I actively dislike the the two more recent versions. Okay, because they throw in the well. Uh, let's without spoiling it for Kathleen, it introduces the mythical beast and the subsequent is he or isn't he dilemma. Okay, right, which is total BS and wasn't in the movie when they made it. And to my mind, it if you start. The one thing I really liked, what, I, there was lots of things I really liked about Blade Runner 2049. Um, I, I liked the way that it got around the fact that time had almost caught up to the first movie by the time they did the sequel. Um, because obviously the 2019 that was presented in Blade Runner was patently not coming by 2017. So what it is, is it's set in an alternate timeline and it's set 30 years after that rather than 32 years after this, you know. Um, Always a problem. But, Science fiction. Sometimes, yeah. but they, but you can never like the thing about it is that we don't know exactly what the future is going to be. Every time the science fiction all of a sudden the future, it's somebody making educated guesses. Oh yeah, right. Well, where's my hoverboard? Most of the sci-fi which put a definitive date, a lot of the sci-fi which had a definitive date stamp uh, as to when it was set, that I grew up with has now happened. <laughs> you know, um, Escape from New York was set in 1997. Um, Escape from New York was set like 24 years ago. You, know, and you have it was to remember the year in which it was produced. 1981, yeah. Like the, um, Blade like Runner was set the in... Jetsons, 20... The Jetsons is 
produced in the early 1960s. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, so as I said in my book about America Tunes In, it's I said it was what the future was thought to be like in 1962, not mm -hmm. what the future is thought to be like now. Oh, well, I mean, one of the things about Blade Runner, though, weirdly, is it irrevocably altered what we thought the future was going to look like to the point where when people depict the future now, despite the fact it's 40 years later, they still do Blade Runner. You know, right. Altered Carbon on Netflix is presenting its future and its Blade Runner again. You know, it, it just it was it was such a persuasive idea of what the future was going to look like that it's very particularly trying to do any kind of urban future. It's and very difficult to depict. Utopia smells better than utopia in a lot of ways. <laughs> right, right. All right, guys. Hey, we are we're going to be running short on time here in Ooh. just a moment. Ooh. So what I want to do is I want to I promise you that we give you guys some time to talk about your books where people can yeah. find them and find out more about you. So if you don't mind, David, would you like to start tell people uh, approximately how many books have you written, where they can find them, and and if they want to follow you on social media, where to track you down at? Okay. I'll try and I'll try and make it as condensed as possible since we're out of time. Sure. I have I have two nonfiction books. America tunes in history of television animation from McFarland and Company. Okay. And Encyclopedia of American Animated Television Shows. They're both available on Amazon from their or from their respective publishers, McFarland and Company for the first one, and Roman Littlefield for the second. Okay. Now, my fiction books—they're uh, all—they're all, they're all self-published because I haven't been able to find—I wasn't able to find a reputable publisher for a while for before I discovered uh, the joys of self-publishing. They're up, and they're on. Amazon, Smashwords, Drafted Digital, um, and ebook lingo, and a lot of other. So I have uh, I have a short story collection um, and a novel intro novella about my my series character Jefferson Ball. Okay. Kind of, who is a, I guess, kind of a parody of the traditional feminine heroine in sci-fi, fantasy, and animation. All right. Extremely, extremely physically powerful, but not entirely <laughs> up there. Pardon. I resemble that remark. <laughs> well, she. Well, that's why she had to have a companion. Your companion, Hamilton Pomeranian, is much physically smaller, more compact, but she's considerably more intelligent. Okay. And you know that, and that 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 pairing was basically my. I'm a big Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. I love the Hanna Barbera shows, and even and even with some of the more recent stuff, I wander over yonder. There's a lot. There's that kind of disparity dynamic going on. So that was what I was going with those. So, so I, there's two books. Singular Adventures of Jefferson Ball is a collection of various short stories over time that I published. And, and then you have social media people can follow you on? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I'm on I'm on most of the social media. So okay. I have it, Facebook, like Facebook, you follow me, DK Perlmutter or David K. Perlmutter and Friends. Twitter, I'm a, at basically at David Perlmutt 10. <laughs> and like there were there are nine other David Perlmutters, I guess, <laughs> that, that I need to. And uh, most of my, a lot of my more recent stories and essays. I've been publishing on Medium, so you could you could follow me on there if you if you're into that. Okay. All right, sounds good. Thank you, David. All right, Mitch. Okay, over the years I've contributed to various nonfiction books, but screw that because I don't get any money for those. So let's talk about <laughs> the sci-fi. All right. Go to the ones getting you money. Absolutely. Let's talk about the sci-fi. Uh, out now, 
finally complete in its completeness uh, is the Terror Trilogy. Book one is called Terror. Book two is called Terror's World. Book three is called Terror's War. All right. Um, these are the story of a human child who is abducted by well-meaning aliens uh. and then is adopted and raised on their on another world uh, as their as as their own. It's sort of a, a well-meaning but bumbling alien finds what he thinks is an abandoned baby on Earth and takes it away and adopts it. Um, so it's about a human child being raised on another planet. That's the premise. It all kicks off from that. So book one is almost kind of a coming-of-age story which happens to be placed on another planet in which only one of the main characters is human. Book two is a bit more of a rollicking adventure. And by the time you get to book three, you're up to proper sort of mind-bending, questioning the nature of reality Arthur C. Clarke stuff. Okay, um, which was kind of always the plan. I wanted to sort of radically up the stakes uh, every time. And so Terror's War is the third in the trilogy. That's out. They are currently in ebook form. They have been on stuff like Draft to Digital, Apple Books, and, and will be again. But they're just at the moment, the ebooks are only on Amazon because I'm giving it a go on Kindle Unlimited where people have a, like, a Kindle subscription can get to read them for free. Um, they're on Kindle Unlimited for the next couple of months. So right now, if you want the ebooks, the only place you can get the ebooks is on Amazon slash Kindle. That will change back again probably at the end of the summer. You can get the paperbacks from Amazon and also from Lulu.com is the other place doing those. Um, and I am the easiest guy in the world to find online. My name is Mitch, M-I-T-C-H, Ben, B-E-N-N, and you put that into any social media platform. And if I'm on there, that's what I'm called. Um, I am Fair Mitch enough. Ben on Twitter. I am Mitch Ben on Facebook. I I don't do a lot on Instagram, but that's who I am on Instagram. <laughs> you know? uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the easiest guy. I like to be approachable, although it does mean you get approached. Um, but that's, that is the hard uh, part with being approachable. <laughs> but then kind of the catch twenty two of it all. Yeah, because this time around, and you know, if you like, I mean, you know, one day I'll, I might tell you the long and painful story of you know my six year trek to try and get these books back out into the into the wild after um, it all fell through with my uh, with my original publishers, um, who might bear no ill will by the way. They did what they had to do, but it still left me in a bizarre situation. And then I signed up with this high powered literary agent. And that seemed to make everything infinitely worse. Um, <laughs> and then, um, Fair enough. Yeah, and it was, it was my girlfriend actually, <laughs> actually literally, almost not metaphorically, kicked my ass about this time last year and said, you know, I've known you for four years and you spent the whole time whinging about the fact that you can't get these books back out. Have you looked into what, you know, because I suppose because they were, the first two books were legit published, I was a bit sort of, Re re hesitant about the whole putting them back out there thing it kind of felt like an admission of defeat or something but, but she because my girlfriend's background is in marketing she did some research and said look 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 if we put in a fair bit of work and spend a bit of money we can put these books out to exactly the same standard as sure. if they're being put up by uh, a reputable publishers so from the point of view of the reader and the buyer the experience will be indistinguishable yeah, self-publishing is not what it used to be. It's, it's a completely yeah. different beast. Completely. That's, different beast. that's what I need for my my fiction because I you know I've been I've been totally DIYing it this whole time. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, uh, my girlfriend Leslie is currently overseeing the marketing for another indie publisher. So, get, get, give us an email via the guys. And there I'll you see go. What her schedule's like, <laughs> because she's been transformative in this whole process. She really has, Leslie. She's been amazing. Uh, really, yeah, kicked me back into gear, and uh, and I'm loving the. I mean, you know, I got the, the the artwork. I was never that happy with the artwork of the old editions. I love the artwork on the new editions. They've got a real old school, almost pulpy kind of sci-fi look mm -hmm. to them, you know. And my my new novel, which I'm currently working on, which I hope to have out by the end of the year, is a dystopian YA fantasy called Rome, the City That Walks. That's R-O-A-M The City That Walks. Mm -hmm. And that will be out hopefully uh, this November. Oh. That's all I really want to say about that. 
All right, excellent. Nothing to do with the trilogy. It's a completely different story. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, guys, we we got just a couple seconds left before we we can get out of here. Uh, So first off, I want to thank you guys, both David and Mitch. Thank you so much for being on tonight and uh, chatting it up with us and being a little silly with us. We always appreciate that. And then next week, guys, uh, same time, same bat channel. Uh, (laughs) Want to make sure you guys come back. And we're going to have a very Star Wars-centric episode next week with Matt Man from TikTok. And we're also going to have uh, our very first interview that we ever aired with Captain Rex. Captain Rex will be here on screen next week, and we'll be talking some Star Wars with those guys. So thanks to everyone, and thanks for being here. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. <laughs>